Hello and welcome to the Daily Homily with Father Kevin Drew. Father Drew is the pastor of St. Anne's Church in Excelsior Springs, Missouri. Father Drew's Daily Mass can be heard weekdays at 11 Central on Catholic Radio Network Channel Gabriel 2. And now, here's Father Drew. A reading from the first letter of St. Peter. Beloved, I exhort the presbyters among you as a fellow presbyter and witness to the sufferings of Christ and one who has a share in the glory to be revealed. Tend the flock of God in your midst, overseeing not by constraint, but willingly, as God would have it, not for shameful profit, but eagerly. Do not lord it over those assigned to you, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd is revealed, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The word of the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. After Christ gave Peter the keys to the kingdom... He had to rebuke Peter, who wanted Christ to run away from the cross. Bishop Sheen had beautiful commentary on this. Quote, a suffering God-man is a scandal. Men do not like to hear about their sins and the need for expiating them. Hence, whenever Jesus dragged in his cross and paraded its necessity before his apostles, they began fighting either him or themselves. They were still obsessed with the idea that his kingdom would be political, not spiritual. If he was going to Calvary, then it was best for them to cash in as quickly as possible on rewards or posts and privileges which were immediately available. The more explicit his prediction of the cross, the more their ambitions, envies, and animosities were aroused. Nothing is more beautiful in our Lord's character than the way he prepared his apostles for that unpalatable lesson of seeming defeat as the condition of victory. How slow they were to understand the story of why he must suffer. It is no wonder our Lord spoke openly but rarely of his cross and resurrection. For it was something few could understand until after it came to pass in the spirit of Christ came to his followers. Many were the times he spoke of his death in a veiled manner, but three times he was explicit about the purpose of his coming. 
One, after Peter's affirmation of his divinity and the conferring of the power of the keys. Two, after his transfiguration en route to Capernaum. And three, on his last journey to Jerusalem. When our blessed Lord came into Caesarea Philippi, this most northerly city of the Holy Land, a city that was half Jewish and half pagan, he spoke of the church he would found. But before doing so, he had to make clear the form of government which would govern it. These forms could be threefold, democratic, aristocratic, and theocratic. The democratic is one in which authority and truth is decided by a vote or an arithmetical majority. The aristocratic is one in which authority is derived from a select few. The theocratic is one in which God himself supplies and guides the revelation and the truth. The democratic was seen in Caesarea Philippi when Christ asked his apostles, well, what was the general popular opinion concerning him? If there had been a poll or a vote taken, basing itself on the fallible judgments of men, well, what would be their answer to the question? What do men say of the Son of Man? Who do they think he is? The inability of men to agree among themselves concerning his divinity was revealed in their answer. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The aristocratic appeared after Peter's confession of faith, and he was given the keys and the power to bind and loose. Peter was given authority as prince of the apostles. St. Peter was also given a chair, a seat. Today is a unique feast day. This is the only feast day on the liturgical calendar when we do not celebrate a person. Instead, we celebrate an object, a chair. Sometimes we hear the term Holy See in reference to the teaching office, the authority of the church. For most people, that conjures up images of a body of water, a big sea of holy water. But the holy sea, S-E-E, is a chair. The Latin is sancta sedes, S-E-D-E-S. Sancta means holy, sedes means chair. Sedes, think seat. The Romans had another name for it, barred from the Greeks, that referred to the seat of anyone who taught with authority. The word was cathedra. A bishop has his chair, his seat, in his cathedral. The Pope, as prince of the bishops, makes ex cathedra decisions when he speaks from his chair for the universal church. St. Peter was martyred about 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. The office of Peter did not end with Peter's death. No, for popes, his successors are mere men. Christ gave us an office of the papacy, an ultimate reference and authority that guides and protects us from the chair, the cathedra, the holy see in Rome.